Welcome. The topic of this breakout session is Women in God's Mission. My name is Rebecca Naylor. I served as a missionary surgeon in South India in the Bangalore Baptist Hospital for over 30 years. In the last few years, I have been privileged to mobilize healthcare students and professionals to go overseas on mission. This afternoon in our breakout session, we will address a few specific questions. Do women have a unique role in mission service? What are some of the challenges that women face? And how could I, as a woman, prepare to serve in missions? As we think about the past and women in missions, but we especially think about women taking the lead in praying for missions, holding the ropes, uh, praying for missionaries all over the world, often by name, hours at a time. Traditionally, women are nurturing in, by nature and are nurturing in their relationship to missions. Women have taken the lead in mobilizing support, including financial support for missions. Women have engaged in domestic missions, very often inner city, uh, engaging in social ministries and evangelism. Then, of course, women have been very involved in international missions. We think of the roles of women um, pioneering. They have often been the pioneers in many places in the world, often in dangerous places. They have been involved in church planting, often working with indigenous national partners. I think probably the national partners saw them as less threat and women were very effective in those partnerships. Women have engaged, especially women and children in the places where they serve. This seems only natural. They have access to homes. Uh, the children themselves can be door openers for relationships and witness. Women have been engaged in education and in healthcare. They uh, have served as linguists doing Bible translation work. I think a rather unique role women have is in telling the missionary stories, uh, writing the mission stories, uh, being the writers of biographies. Women have some very unique opportunities. They are able to reach women. This is uh, may seem very obvious but it's very strategic and it's very important. They have access to homes and surprisingly, they may be able to remain longer in the hostile situation. They are viewed as less threat and therefore they can stay longer. Uh, Ruth Tucker in her book, uh, Guardians of the Great Commission said this, missionary service is one of the few vocations in which women have been more prominent 
in adverse situations than men. The author J. Herbert Cain said, the more difficult and dangerous the work, the higher the ratio of women to men. Here is a quote from a missionary back in 1881, J.S. Woodside. My honest opinion is that many of the ladies I have known have been superior to many of our male workers in all that goes to constituting the true missionary. Their intense earnestness, their love to the people, their zeal, their untiring energy, and their long-suffering patience have been far greater than in men. But there are challenges to be faced, and certainly uh, we know that, and any missionary will tell you that this is certainly true. Uh, in thinking about challenges, I interviewed eight active missionary women, uh, women actually engaged in healthcare roles on the field, and uh, Ruth Tucker's book, Guardians of the Great Commission. And these provided good resources as we think about challenges. First of all, there are challenges that relate to family and ministry. A balance is sometimes very difficult to achieve. This woman is a leader. She is a mother. She is engaged in ministry. She is a healthcare professional. And there are all those lost people around her who need to hear about Jesus. How does one balance all of these different responsibilities? The husband's position may be dominant. Uh, she is working the same hours and has the same burden and call. And yet he is the one who's speaking up. It is through him that any mission news comes. Maybe he even travels a lot in his job. Uh, he has a position at the table when the decisions are made. She may be homeschooling children. And remember, this is only for a season. It is a few years, but it can uh, totally dominate her, her life and the hours every day. Then there's the issue of separation from children. Um, she may have to send them away to boarding school, even in high school, or maybe even younger. And eventually they will go away to college. This can be very difficult for the woman. Her expectations may not match the expectations of others. What she thought she would do, other people did not think that was what she was to do. And then of course, sometimes, um, even her own expectations uh, are just uh, impossible to be met. I think especially we need to mention the, the single missionary. Uh, just the very fact we, I guess, talk about a single missionary implies differentiation. Are they in some special category? And most people would say, well, yes, they are. They, they are in a different category. They may not have chosen singleness, but it happened. Sometimes, uh, especially their fellow missionaries, may relate to them in a somewhat condescending manner. Uh, oh, I'm so, so nice to see you. 
uh, you are an unclaimed treasure. We're going to take care of you. Um, things of this sort can be, uh, you know, a little bit difficult. Uh, I read in a book, a book by Jeannie Lockerbie, by ones and by twos. And she said that when people would ask her, well, are you married? And she would say, no, my husband died at birth. That usually took care of the conversation. Another issue for the single missionary may be that extra jobs are added. Oh, she doesn't have um, children and a family and schedule. And so she's able to do all these other things. Um, you have to be alert to that. Loneliness is a challenge that is common to both single and married people. It, even in the midst of, of many people, one can be very lonely. It is important that you recognize this. Um, I think even for married women, it may be that your husband is out and away, you're home with the kids. Uh, maybe you can't uh, get out and do things. Try to find other women with whom you can have relationship. For the single woman, uh, she, she desires some relationship with someone from her own culture. These are all parts of the loneliness uh, issue that confronts missionaries. Another issue that we should uh, mention is sex discrimination. Maybe you say, oh, does that happen to missionaries? Yes, it can happen to missionaries. Um, as we think about that, uh, self-advocacy. Um, when women missionaries demand equality, that is not feminism. It is not self-advocacy. On the other hand, she is totally submissive to God's will. She has come there. She is... Um, responsible. She is working. And that is indeed self-denial. Um, and so these women must be viewed as committed to their call and to what God has instructed them to do. Then there is the issue of submission and assertion. Uh, women may be independent and at the same time, uh, they are to be submissive. They are submissive to God's call. That's why they're there. Um, and at the same time, they need to express themselves and express ideas. The submission and the assertion are balanced. Very often the woman is required to do men's jobs, but not really have a voice at the table. Uh, though she has the responsibility she doesn't really contribute to uh, the plans for ministry. She may not have any representation in board meetings or conferences, uh, no voice. And yet I want to remind you on the other side of that, in mission history, women have been uh, leaders in coming up with new ideas and strategies. For example, a woman founded the Missionary Aviation Fellowship. It was a woman who founded gospel recordings, and it was a woman who devised the LAMP method of language learning, language acquisition made practical. And these have all been major contributions 
in missions. Let me introduce you to Lottie Moon. She was a single lady, uh, went out to China in 1873. She would have gone sooner, but they would not appoint single missionaries until finally they did. She spent 39 years in China. She was a teacher. She was sent out to start a girls' school, which she did, and it, it grew and was a, a very good school. But she saw all the villages um, uh, with no gospel witness, no one telling them about Jesus. So she moved to the village, which was certainly not a culturally expected or appropriate, perhaps, thing to do. And there in the village, uh, she was not supposed to preach. She was not supposed to talk to men. But she was so burdened about these men. Uh, and, you know, she, she said, how can I let these heathen men die and go to hell without telling them about Jesus? And so, of course, she did tell them about Jesus. There were men who were saved, who became leaders, who became pastors, who were church planters. There was great multiplication of the churches. Uh, Lottie Moon. Now, we've talked about some challenges. And how are we going to get over these challenges? How do we meet the challenges? First of all, and perhaps most basic and primary, is that we must be very certain of God's call. There are many needs in the world. There are a lot of lost people in the world. There are many physical needs in the world. Need in and of itself does not constitute the call. God calls you specifically. He has a plan for your life. We are to submit everything to him. Trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in everything. We must trust him. We don't put qualifiers on what he has called us to do. Once you have discerned God's direction, you are to obey. We must be totally obedient. You know, there's no partial obedience. Uh, you either... Uh, completely obey or you don't. And we're to be flexible. I can remember from earliest missionary days, almost we joke about it, simply adjust. Um, things are different than you expected. Unexpected things happen. Simply adjust. And adjust your expectations. You go thinking you're going to do something. You get there, and maybe you will do those things, but you will also do other things. You may not even do the things that you thought you were going to do. We are to adjust our expectations. Another important way to meet challenges is to develop relationships. Uh, I think especially for women, developing relationships with women is an important part of uh, longevity in your mission service. Open your home. Practice hospitality. Your home is a wonderful place of, of ministry. It can be a great place to socialize. It can be a place to have spiritual conversations safely. 
open your home. If you are single, capitalize on your singleness. You will be able more quickly to respond to emergencies or disasters, un those unexpected events. Uh, you will have opportunity for some relationships that others will not have. One single missionary I talked with said, um, you know, she, uh, the nationals around her felt sorry for her being single. And so they just were inviting her to their homes. She had so many invitations. She couldn't even keep her social calendar in order and developed great long-term friendships uh, through that. Capitalize on your singleness. And if you're married, have a true partnership with your husband. This does not mean that you two do the same things. Each of you is doing different things. Your target people is the same. Your ministry, each of you, your ministry builds on the ministry of the other. You complement each other in the work. That is a true partnership. Each of you has been called individually, but God has also called you as a couple. And so this partnership is key in meeting the challenges. Let me introduce you to Dr. Clara Swain. She was the first doctor appointed as a missionary. That was back in 1870. She went to India. She saw thousands of patients every year, and she shared the gospel with many, many of those patients. She'd been there about 15 years when the local Muslim prince came to her and asked her to become the physician for all the women in the palace. And there she was, able to be the missionary to royalty. What a great opportunity. Another one of my heroes is Dr. Ida Scudder. Dr. Ida grew up in India, missionary parents, father a doctor, she dreamed of going to America to college and marrying a fine young American man and living comfortably and easily in the United States. God had a very different plan. She had gone back to India while in college to visit her parents. In one night, three men individually came to the door. Their wives were in labor. They were in trouble. They needed a doctor. Her father, of course, said, I will come. And then each one of those men said, oh, no, a man cannot come and take care of my wife. The next day, there were three funerals in the village. God used that experience to call Dr. Ida. She had a vision to establish a medical college for women in India in order that they would be equipped to provide care for women. She did establish the Christian Medical College in Belor. Uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of women have become physicians. Uh, it is now a, a co-educational institution. It is a premier medical institution in all of South Asia. Now I would like to share you uh, with you a bit of my own story. Uh, hopefully this will kind of um, be an example of, of what we've already talked about in this session. 
Uh, my story takes us to the country of India. Uh, I served in Bangalore, which is located in South India. Uh, there, the circle that's on the map. I grew up in the home of a Baptist pastor, uh, the third child, two older brothers, 10 and 12 years older than I. Uh, I was uh, hearing about Jesus from earliest memory. I was five years old when I put my faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of my life. I was a teenager, 13, when during a missions emphasis in our church, God called me into medical missions. I could not really imagine that uh, God could use somebody as insignificant as I was to do something that in my mind was so immense and very big. But I realized over months of prayer that indeed God was calling me. And of course, there followed the years of education, college and medical school. I was led into surgery as a senior medical student, uh, loved surgery. Uh, in the 1960s, women did not become surgeons. I did my five years of surgical training in Dallas at the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center uh, and Parkland Hospital. You can see in my residency picture there that I am the only woman. They had not taken one before and they did not take one after for a few years, uh, but I had superb training I sometimes thought that the environment, not only among all the men, but a lot of cross-cultural work as well, was great preparation for the mission field. I arrived at the Bangalore Baptist Hospital, a hospital there to provide healing in the name of Jesus. Uh, I arrived there early in 1974. As a new missionary, it is absolutely vital that we learn the language locally. We should um, identify as far as possible with the culture. We should uh, become established in the community, be a part of the community. And so that was a, an initial priority. The hospital itself was founded in 1973. It had been open a few months when I arrived officially 80 beds, functionally 40 beds. Uh, over the years that followed, uh, it grew, of course, in services, in staff, uh, and in facilities. In 1989, the management of the hospital was handed over to Christian Medical College in Velour, that very institution that Dr. Ida had founded decades before. In the 1990s, we began educational programs, uh, first in the allied health disciplines. Uh, then we established residency training for doctors, uh, first in the four basic specialties. Uh, then the nursing school was established. And finally, training programs for chaplains. In all of these, I was engaged in um, curriculum development, accreditation procedures, and so forth. Um, even till today, the hospital has just continued to grow and expand. As a doctor, of course, I had um, doctor responsibilities. I worked in the clinic. 
uh, took care of uh, patients of all kinds, uh, private patients who paid, village patients who perhaps paid nothing. Uh, and I had an opportunity to um, not only provide physical care, but spiritual care as well. An example of doing, uh, well, in a moment, I'll say that. First, uh, surgery. I was a surgeon, and therefore, of course, I did surgery. But a good example of doing things that you do not expect to do. I did not expect to be the obstetrician gynecologist in our hospital. The first 10 years I was there, there was no person in OBGYN. Being female, being a surgeon, it fell to me. And by 10 years, I was well established. I continued to be the obstetrician gynecologist, working, of course, with others on the staff, um, delivered a lot of babies in the 30 years. I had administrative responsibilities early on, uh, very different responsibilities in the hospital. Then in the uh, 1984, I became the CEO of the hospital. Um, at first, I was very uh, concerned. I knew that, that God wanted me to do that. I was very ill-equipped. No one had ever taught me about financial management, human resource development. Um, also, I was still caring for patients, but less than before. And I thought, um, you know, I could share my faith with patients, but how did I share my faith? working in an office with files. I then realized that I had entered a whole new community, the business community of our city, the professional community of our city, lawyers, doctors, contractors, vendors, so many people. And now I had opportunity to form relationships and to share witness with them. The other thing was I discovered uh, unexpectedly that I had administrative gifts and actually eventually came to enjoy the administration. I was very much involved in education. I've already told you about starting the various educational programs. A very special one to me is the nursing school. We began in 1996. Um, today, it's actually called the Institute of Nursing, including both a bachelor's degree in nursing and a three-year certificate course in nursing. Most of our students, certainly the majority, uh, come from a poor socioeconomic background. Interestingly, all the students from the beginning till now are women. And uh, these, these students, especially these from a weaker background economically and educationally, are so motivated. Their whole future depends on success. Their families depend on their success. For six years, I taught anatomy and physiology in the nursing school. Uh, just one of my most favorite things to do. I also opened my home. I talked about the fact earlier that this can be a great way to meet challenges. My first Christmas in India, 
I invited four women to tea. The last Christmas I was in India, I invited over 250 to my small apartment for a Christmas party. Every year uh, at Christmas, I invited people uh, from the city, doctors, lawyers, all kinds of professional people, some private type patients, professors, um, pastors, people of every faith background. The only place they saw each other was at my house every year, and they looked forward to it. This gave an opportunity for witness. Uh, one year, a, a Hindu anesthesiologist saw the small nativity scene there in my house. He said to me, could you tell me the story of this? Yes, I would be very happy to tell that story. Uh, also, at my Christmas tree, it was small each year. It was in a pot about two feet tall, but an evergreen. To talk about the Christmas tree, the evergreen and everlasting life. Otherwise, uh, through the year, I used my home for hospitality, for my own social life, inviting people over for dinner, uh, having fellowship together, having opportunity for spiritual conversations. If I had not been a doctor, I would have been a musician. I thought when I went to India that music would be certainly a part of my own personal life, but not anything else. However, we formed a hospital choir in the 1980s. About 30 people, all levels of staff, couldn't read music, learned by rote repetition, and we went all over our city giving concerts. Um, I accompanied the choir. Some of the years I'd also directed the choir. Uh, this picture here was taken as we were about to record a Christmas program to be aired on government television. The choir was an opportunity for hospital PR, but very much an opportunity of witness in our city. I was very much uh, engaged as well in church planting through all the years. The hospital provided limitless opportunity uh, to share the gospel with patients. As people would be interested, our chaplains would follow up, would visit in their homes. I partnered with Indian church planters and evangelists as we would often go out into villages and slums and uh, share the gospel. Uh, and we saw hundreds of churches begun through the ministry of Bangalore Baptist Hospital. How did I integrate witness? and work. I prayed with patients. You, you can do this in America. You can do it overseas, always with permission. I prayed with every patient before surgery. Uh, sometimes in the clinic, I would have prayer with patients. Then there would be those personal spiritual conversations. For example, in the clinic, uh, certainly they had their physical complaint, but very often other problems, family problems and whatever, uh, I could say to them, you know, when I face trouble, my best friend is Jesus. Could I tell you how that works for me? Uh, usually they said yes. I would share my own story of faith. And then I would say to them, do you have anything like that in your life? 
usually they did not. And then I would say, well, could I tell you how you could have this? That opens the door for the witness. Each Sunday, uh, through all the years that I was there, I led a Sunday service in the chapel for our patients and visitors, very short, telling a Bible story, presenting the plan of salvation from scripture. I discipled young professionals. Uh, not only did we study the Bible together, but uh, learning how to share our faith, uh, learning how to uh, engage even the medical community and the people of our city with the gospel. I led Bible studies, certainly in the hospital, but also like in the, the dormitories, the nursing uh, dorms there on the hospital campus. Um, this provided relationships and opportunity to study God's word together. And then, as I've said, I went out with our national pastors and leaders uh, working in slums and villages uh, sharing Christ. Now, let me just briefly uh, show you a bit of what Bangalore Baptist Hospital is today. It is so different from when I arrived in 1974. As you can see, these pictures, as it has uh, developed over the years, it's been added to in multiple stages, you can see some differences in construction. When we look at this last year, uh, 340,000 almost outpatients seen in the clinic. Um, then in addition to that, another 60,000 patients in the community outreach. So uh, 400,000 patients. Remember that no one comes alone. Usually there is a family member, a neighbor, a friend. Uh, easily 700,000 people probably walk through that hospital every year, and most of them do not know Jesus Christ. You see the other numbers there. Um, Bangalore Baptist Hospital delivers more babies every year than any other private hospital in our city of 11 million people. It is a 340-bed multi-specialty hospital. Even now, they are adding another 100 beds. Um, the academics, it is a major academic center with almost 600 trainees in the campus, uh, allied health courses, the Nursing Institute, postgraduate medical education now in 12 departments, and the chaplaincy program. Spiritual ministry remains a priority in the hospital. Uh, 12, uh, 10 chaplains, along with Christian staff, uh, see usually over 1,500 persons every year who choose to follow Jesus Christ. We go out to the community. This picture here is of our uh, peripheral center for rural health. We're working in hundreds of villages to the north of our city. Uh, we, of course, provide primary health care and health education. We have a cardiovascular screening and treatment project, a senior citizens project, a very major disability uh, program. Uh, we have an alcohol rehab program. Uh, it is a very comprehensive service that we provide in the community. 
We also work in an urban slum of about 100,000 people. Those people have almost no other access to care. We work out of a rented building in the center of the slum, seeing over a thousand patients a month in this urban health center, do a lot of home visits out from that center. Smile on Wheels is a self-contained mobile unit that goes to other slums and villages, a small lab, a small pharmacy, and of course the healthcare team. We have an extensive hospice home care program, palliative care. It's delivered differently in India than it is in America. Uh, in India, a nurse could not go alone to a home. So they go as a team. We um, have four teams that are out every day. Most of the patients are terminally ill with cancer, but some of them are, are, uh, have terminal end-stage uh, medical diseases a fewer AIDS patients. Um, finally, we have a breast cancer detection program in both rural and urban areas. A few years ago, God gave me this verse. Since my youth, God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I am old and gray, do not Forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. Yes, God has taught me, and I can declare to you today his marvelous deeds, wonderful deeds. I've just shown you a small glimpse today. And even now, I wish to declare to you the mighty power of God, his mighty acts to you and generations to come. I want to say that the healthcare professional is unique. I think there is no other profession like us. We can cross every geographic barrier, every cultural barrier. We can cross every economic barrier, the king, the illiterate villager, everything in between, all need healthcare. But the most important thing is we can get to a spiritual conversation in minutes because of the relationship between the patient and the healthcare provider. Now, what about you? What are next steps? What is God saying to you? This weekend, you're hearing many things. You're inspired. It is exciting. You have been challenged. What are the next steps? Develop your own spiritual disciplines, your time to study God's word, your time in prayer. Um, prayer is not just talking to God, it is also listening. Uh, you know, as you continue your training, as you uh, engage in your professional life, you're only going to get busier. So it is vital that right now you get these habits firmly in place. Uh, don't neglect fellowship with other believers. Don't neglect your church relationships. Learn about our world. You have a tremendous opportunity to do this with the internet. Uh, learn about what's going on in the world. 
learn about uh, spiritual needs in the world, learn about physical needs in the world, uh, learn about healthcare systems, learn about political systems. Uh, there's so much to know about the world. And as you learn, you can pray more effectively and specifically. And it is in that context that God may speak to you about what is your role, whether it's on this side of the world or some other side of the world. Connect with a missionary mentor. Uh, I know before I went to India, and there were really two missionaries that, um, that I had special relationship with. They gave me um, good advice that I have retained and remembered all these years. Another thing that you can do is to read missionary biographies. It is invaluable. I think for me, it was so very, very special. Read about uh, people's lives, how God called them, how they followed God's direction, the places where they served, what kinds of ministry they did, what were the challenges and adversities that they faced and how did they confront them? How did they deal with them? Um, missionary stories are a great way for you to uh, learn about God's work. And share your faith now with others. Uh, going overseas does not transform you automatically into some witness. You should be sharing your faith now, every day. Use opportunities. You who are students, with your classmates, you who are professionals, with your peers, with your colleagues in your community. Engage in a cross-cultural opportunity. For students on a university campus, this is a, a, almost surely you've got internationals with whom you study. There would be many opportunities right there in your campus. In any community now in America, there will be cross-cultural opportunities. There are people of other nationalities living everywhere. Uh, look for those opportunities to relate cross-culturally. Form relationships, form friendships, um, share with each other. And of course, prepare professionally. You who are still students, education is your priority right now. And do your best. Learn all that you can. I also know from my own experience uh, in college, in medical school, and in residency, God brought extra things along. I did have excellent education, but they were those extras. The, the church fellowships with which I was identified. God brought some very wonderful people into my life at each of those stages who, who were very important in my spiritual formation. In asking questions uh, of these missionaries that I interviewed, um, here's a comment from one of them. Never set limits on God or be driven by your feelings. And know that healthcare can be the most effective way of reaching hearts with the healing of the gospel. I ask this question what gives joy amidst everything? Seeing friends come to Christ, giving someone their first Bible, baptizing new believers, partnering with local church, and working together. 
These have been life verses for me. I, sh I mentioned them earlier. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. We've come to the end of our time together. Uh, there may be opportunity for questions, but I do invite you to uh, email me. You're welcome to correspond. I will answer. And so the email contact is there at the bottom of your screen. Thank you for attending this breakout session. Uh, and I look forward to further uh, communication.